Now, today, I have to tell on myself, do you guys ever feel compelled to tell on yourself? I don't think this is a bad thing, but some of you are going to say, oh, my goodness, Jessica Spence. Um, I like order. I like, anybody like order, things to be clean and tidy and organized? Ruth Hutchins, I see you. Okay, I like order, and um, I'm one of those people, okay, I'm going to tell on myself, I color coordinate my closet. Now, I know some of you are going, wow, that's amazing. And some of you are going, oh, my word, what are you thinking? But I could literally walk into my closet blindfolded at any given moment, and I could pretty much figure out where everything is because I just put it back in the exact same place every time. So I know that if you've ever been in my home or in my small group, that probably wouldn't surprise you. Um, But the thing is, I've been this way since I was a kid. Uh, Even when I was a little child, I remember going into my bedroom, and I would play for hours. I would pretend I was grown up. Anybody pretending they were grown up? Anybody still pretending that they're grown up? Uh, I would go into my bedroom and I would organize my things and I would play house. And I would pretend like I was in charge and I was the mom. Now I am grown up. I am the mom. I live with five people and I get to do this every day for the rest of my life. Okay, it's the best. Um, So I I love being organized, and not only do I like it for the purpose of aesthetics, like I like things to look nice and tidy, I like it to function. I like to be in a space that functions as it was intended. Have you ever been looking for something and you can't find it? Like your keys and you have to get somewhere, and you're frantic and you're searching? I hate that feeling. So I like to be tidy and organized because I like to go into a space and it function as it was intended to. Who wants to go into the kitchen and have to clean all the dishes and all the pots and pans just so you can cook the next meal? Nobody. So my, my key to you is just have a bunch of kids and let them do it so that it's clean and tidy. We really do that, okay? Amen. So I like things to be clean and tidy, and I do appreciate the aesthetics of it. I do have a pantry with things that are labeled because I want to raise my children to be independent, to find things for themselves, do things for themselves, put things back where they belong, Right. But far more important to me, and probably to some of you in the room, than just the aesthetics of things looking nice, I want them to function well. I want things to work as they were intended to. I don't want to have to take extra time just to tidy up so I can do the next thing. So I just like being, I like things organized and decluttered and ready and functioning. And actually in psychology, they tell us that things that are ready and functioning as they were intended, like your office space, your workspace, even your bedroom, your, you know, wherever you work, uh, when you keep those clean and tidy, it actually reduces your stress and it, it reduces waste of time and money. Anybody okay with that? Okay, so you might be sitting here thinking, what in the world are you going to be talking about today? Well, today I want to talk about getting your house in order getting your house in order. And I'm not going to give you a message on how to clean and tidy your pantry, okay? Although I probably could do that because I I just love that stuff. But I want to tell you that I believe that the Lord is telling us prophetically as a church and to us individually to get your house in order, okay? And I believe that it honors God when our house, both physical spaces, but also spiritual spaces, are in order and are ready to receive the presence of the Lord. Um, You might not know this, but part of my role on our staff team is that I actually oversee our campus and our facility. 
And so part of what my job is, is to make sure that all the rooms and spaces around this building and campus are ready for ministry to happen. So I help oversee the calendar and every single week that I'm in this role, I'm just reminded of how good and how faithful and how amazing God is to show up into these rooms and spaces. This one right here, you know, where we have prayer and we have worship and we have the word, right, in our kids' spaces and for small groups and celebrate recovery. And I look at my calendar every single week and I'm blown away that this building is housing so much ministry. We're welcoming people into this space for the purpose of bringing glory to God. And so part of that role is I will often tell our groups, tell different ministry and department leaders to leave spaces behind themselves clean and tidy. That's why if you've ever had a conversation with me about leading a small group or having a meeting or serving a meal somewhere in the building, I'm often saying, okay, make sure you clean up after yourself, take your trash out, clean up your food, vacuum if you have to, fluff the pillows, whatever you need to do, because I believe that when we leave a space. It should be better off when we leave it than it was when we came. And I have believed this from my childhood. I remember writing about this in middle school that I said, especially as believers in Jesus, that when we leave a space, it should be even better because we were there. And in fact, there's a tagline that our church uses often. It says here for better. We're here for better. We're here not just to make things look better and seem better and look tidy and clean and buttoned up. It's for the purpose of bringing heaven into earth. It's for the purpose that when we come into a space, what we carry with us, the presence of God that is in us, is leaving that space better off when we go than it was when we got there. And so in the natural realm, I'm saying clean and tidy, take your trash out, you know, make sure your space looks better when you leave. But really I'm saying in the supernatural realm, what we're doing in those moments where we're cleaning and tidying is we're making room for God to show up. And what we're doing in the natural realm is really indicative of what I believe God wants us to do in the spirit realm. And I believe that all over this building, in all of these classrooms and in all of these spaces, I believe that God does want to show up. And so today I want to talk about getting your house in order. And I know that some people would say, you know, buildings and rooms are not sacred, right? God can show up anywhere. He absolutely can. I know in my own life, and you've probably experienced this too, that God has shown up into some messy, chaotic situations. The thing is, when he leaves, he doesn't leave it that way. Right, And so I believe that even though God doesn't have to have a specific type of space or even a clean and tidy one to show up, but I believe that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, what God was showing us when he crafted and built and made a plan for his house was that it was orderly and it was intentional and that he thought through every detail so we're going to look at this throughout scripture and talk about those places where God designed and built for his glory to dwell. Now, you've probably heard in the Old Testament that the Israelites were in Egypt. They were in bondage. God actually brings them out of this incredible slavery, and they go out into the wilderness. And they don't end up directly in the promised land. There's some space and time between leaving Egypt and getting to the promised land. And in that time, God gives Moses, their leader, a plan. 
He takes Moses up onto a mountain. And I, I honestly, I told Eric, we were laughing. I said, this could be a four-part series, okay? So I am cramming a lot of information, but I want to encourage you to go back and read the Bible. Read what it says, because it is so beautiful and so detailed. Moses goes up on the mountain, and he's face-to-face with God. And in this moment with the Lord, God gives him a plan about how to lead the people of Israel. And part of that plan is a very specific creative design for the tabernacle. And this was going to be called the tent of meeting. It was the place where God was going to come and dwell in this space and time among his people. And this tabernacle, when you read the description of it, was incredibly detailed. God did not leave anything up to the imagination. He did not say, Moses, I want a place for me to come and meet with the people. Just make me a tent and I'll show up. What God did is what he says in Exodus 25, 9. He said, make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So God is here and he's giving Moses very specific instructions, okay? It's all about the construction of the tabernacle where his glory would dwell. And it is so specific. He tells him what kind of materials to use. He tells him what colors to use. He tells him how to embroider the tent. He tells him everything about the furnishings, about the altar, about the Ark of the Covenant. Every section and room and part of that tabernacle served a purpose, and it was made with intention and attention to detail. So for people like me, I'm going, okay, thank you, God. You do like detail, right? God created this space, a literal facility, a literal place for people to come to house his presence, and no expense was spared. He told Moses all the things to tell the people to bring, and they gathered all of their supplies. They brought everything that they could and basically said, here, Build what God has designed for us to build. And he says, do it exactly according to the pattern I'm going to show you. And I believe that this tells us something about the heart and the character of God. Because what he was telling Moses wasn't just for the sake of like building a room or a space or a tent, right? To look good on the surface. He was saying, the place where I'm going to come dwell among you is to be designed with intention, with purpose, with precision, and do not spare anything. Do it to the best of your ability. Now, fast forward. David is king, and David has a heart for the house of God. If you read anything in the Psalms, you can see that David has a heart for the place where God dwells to be in the midst of the people. And so David goes before the Lord and he's like, Lord, I want to build you a great house. I want to build you a temple. Now the tabernacle had moved all over the place with the people. Every time that the Lord would move, they wouldn't move with it. There was no sense of permanency. And David said, no, I have it on my heart to build a place that's going to be magnificent and great for your glory to dwell, for you to come and be here with your people. And I want it to honor you. And David even gathered all kinds of resources and supplies even his own money and resources. And he gave this vision to his son Solomon to carry out, to build a place where the glory of God would dwell. 
And it was a beautiful thing. In First Chronicles 28, this is what it said. All this he made clear to me in the writing from the hand of the Lord. All the work to be done according to the plan. So again, God had a plan. And every single detail mattered. And again, if you go back and you read what he told David and, and what he commissioned Solomon to do, it was very clear and specific. He told him about every room, every type of stone, every item that was going to be used in that place was to be used with a purpose and with intention that God had a plan in place. And he said, don't waver from the plan. Do exactly as I am telling you to do. So David didn't even have to come up with a plan. He didn't have to consult anybody. God downloaded this idea into his spirit. And then Solomon came along and he was going to do it. He was going to make God's house great. And so here's the thing. I believe that the temple, the physical temple that was built was actually a foreshadowing of Jesus. Right? Because at that time in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, before his death and burial and resurrection, the people could not directly interact with God. They went to the temple to pray, to sacrifice, to be purified, to hear the word of God being, being read. Okay, They could not go directly to God themselves. So let's look at what happens in the New Testament. Jesus comes on the scene. And here's Jesus, and he was very well acquainted with the importance of the temple. In fact, he spent a lot of his life there. And in Luke chapter 2, Jesus is just a little teeny baby. And on the eighth day, his parents take him to the temple. They're presenting him before the Lord. Maybe you've read this story in Luke chapter 2. When they take him to the temple... He's there as a young child and Simeon and Anna who have been fasting and praying and believing for the coming of the Messiah. They have a revelation right there with baby Jesus that he is the Messiah. So Jesus spent time as a young baby in the temple. Even later on, it says that his family took him every single year. They went back to Jerusalem where the temple was. Okay, this permanent, beautiful structure and every single year, they would celebrate the Passover. This beautiful moment of remembering that God took them out of slavery, out of the land of Egypt. Okay, so we're coming full circle. Out of the land of Egypt, God designs a tabernacle, a place for his glory to dwell. Out of that vision, he tells David to build a temple. And then here comes Jesus, who ultimately is going to be the final sacrifice, the ultimate Passover lamb. And Jesus is spending time in the temple, even as a kid. So you might have heard this story. He goes there. He's 12 years old. His family goes to celebrate the Passover. And this is what happens with Jesus. Luke chapter 2, it says, When they did not find him, Jesus, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they, his parents, found him where? In the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Let me tell you, if Jesus had a middle name, he probably heard it right there. 
okay? Because he goes to celebrate Passover with his parents, and he ends up in the temple, and they leave not realizing he's not with them. And they're sort of probably panicked. You know, any moms out there who have lost a kid temporarily, you panic a little bit. And they go back, and where do they find him? But in the temple. And this is what he said. He said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Like the way that Jesus responded to his mom right there insinuates that he thought she should know where he was. I mean, I've had kids do that to me too. But this is Jesus, right? His mom and dad are searching. They've been looking for three days and they cannot find their kid. And where is he? None other place than the temple. The place that he calls in this moment, my father's house. Jesus grew up. He knew the temple well. He was blowing their minds with his wisdom and expertise and knowledge and understanding of the scripture. And so here he is, frustrated parents, and he goes, didn't you know where I would be all along? My father's house. Jesus grows up. He becomes a man. He's a rabbi. He's a teacher. And in Luke, it says that he spent almost every day teaching and preaching where? In the temple. So even though we could say that buildings are not sacred, Jesus knew in his culture and in his heart the importance of this structure of the temple. He would go there daily and pray for people. And you may have heard this, right after his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, where he's riding the donkeys in, and they're calling him king, Hosanna, right? Right after this moment, he goes to the temple. And in Luke chapter 19, what does it say in verse 46? My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. So he has this incredible moment where the people are cheering him on. They're waving the palm branches. And where does he end up going right after that moment? He goes to the temple and he is turning over the tables and he's driving out the money changers because they have made personal profit out of what he knew was a place that was meant to be holy, out of a place. And notice his language changed. As a child, he said, didn't you know I would be in my father's house? But what does he say here? He says, this is my house. And he's quoting a scripture from the Old Testament. He's saying, my house shall be a house of prayer. So he is proclaiming to the people in that moment that his house was to be a house of prayer. It was, had, had purpose and intention. And he loved his house. He spent time in his house. So that's all leading up to this beautiful moment with Jesus and his disciples in a place that we call the upper room. So I want to look at Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14 starts out and it says, And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? Now, his disciples knew, they assumed, and they knew that he was going to celebrate Passover. He had been doing this since his childhood and probably had already spent time with his disciples celebrating Passover. So here he is, and this is what he does. And he sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, go into the city, 
and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. I want you to follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? So Jesus actually foreknew. He knew in advance where they were going to end up. He tells them, I want you to go into the city and follow this man and ask the master of the house, but he already knew that there was going to be a room that was ready for him. And this is what he says, He will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, I want you to prepare for us. And the disciples set out, and they went to a city, and they found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Now look at that last verse. The room where Jesus sent them ahead to do this incredible moment of ministry was a large upper room that was furnished and it was ready. It was a large space. It was large enough to accommodate this moment that he was getting ready to have with his disciples. It was an upper room. That means it was on the top floor. It was away from the noise of the ground level of the street and of the home. It was furnished. We don't know what all was in the room. We know that there was at least a table because the Bible says that he reclined at the table with his disciples. And I love the last thing it says to describe this space. It was ready. Jesus did not send his disciples on a wild goose chase to celebrate the Passover saying, I hope you can find a space. I forgot to reserve any place. Go into the city and ask everybody you can find to see if there's a room for us to celebrate this moment. No. He foreknew and he chose a space that could accommodate the ministry that he had in mind with his disciples. And it wasn't just that it was large enough in size or that it was the right location. It was furnished and ready. His disciples did not have to come into that room and clean and prep and prepare. All they had to do was believe. And they showed up for a moment that Jesus had planned for them in this beautiful time of celebrating Passover. And we often call this time the Last Supper. You guys ever seen that picture of the big table and Jesus at the, and all the disciples reclining? But as I was thinking about this literal room where Jesus planned to have this moment, I was thinking, you know, we could call this the Last Supper, but it could also be called the First Communion. Because this is the first time when Jesus is celebrating Passover, where now when they shared the bread and the cup around the table, it's not just in terms of Passover and tradition and culture. It's the first time where he's gathering with all his people that he's loved on and trained and led. And he's saying, when you take this bread and you take this cup, this is actually my body and my blood. And it was this prophetic moment that he was telling them of his impending death. It was the communion moment that he was telling them that I am the Passover lamb. I am the final sacrifice. And because of this moment, because I'm leading into my death and I'm gonna lay down my life for you, my best friends, my pals, the one that I called, the one that I I orchestrated your life to be here in this moment, It's so that now you can be directly in the presence of God. Now you don't have to go to a tabernacle, a tent of meeting. You don't have to go to the temple. You won't have to make sacrifices. I'm going to be that for you. 
And in this moment, probably the most important moment of the disciples' lives, what he was doing was telling them that when you take this bread and you take this cup, you are saying that God, Jesus, you are the sacrifice for me so that I now can have the Holy Spirit dwelling in me. And I love this because as you, as you notice what God was doing, the Bible says that he created us in his image. We are created, you are created in the image of God, perfectly and beautifully crafted and built. He knew that he was gonna build you with intention. He knew exactly how he wanted to design you. He did it according to his plan. Why? Because the Bible says that you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I love this scripture in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. It says, do you not know that you are God's temple? That God's spirit actually dwells in you. You, every one of us as believers, we were crafted and built and planned by God. Why? Not just to look good on the outside, not for the purpose of aesthetics or just saying, I got my life all together and I'm clean and tidy. No, it was for the purpose of housing the presence of the Lord. And in the same way that God built the tabernacle and the temple and created you and I, it was with intention because he foreknew that his design all along was that he wanted to dwell, not just among us, but in us to empower you to live a life, a beautiful life that he designed for you. And so we can look at the temple and the tabernacle. We can look at the upper room. We can see that God had a plan for the actual building and structure that would house his presence. But ultimately it was leading up to you. It was leading up to this moment where Jesus came onto the scene and he said, because of what I'm about to do for you, now you can house the presence of the Lord. And when I say that we want to get our house in order, I'm not just saying in our physical spaces. I love, I love that behind me, you can see very clearly we're in the middle of construction. And when we were talking about planning this really over a year ago and looking into all the plans and, and the design and how it would play out and what it would cost and all the details of it, it led up to this moment of actual building and constructing and ripping out what was old and outdated and what needed to be new. But I felt like the Lord gave me a word because in my job over our facilities, I'm seeing all the little pieces that are being orchestrated and all the little things that just this decision is going to affect. And I said, Lord, let it be that the construction you see happening in this room is really indicative of what you are doing in us that you are building a house of people inside of us, that we will house your presence, that what we are doing right here in the natural realm is really showing us what is happening in the spiritual realm, that in the same way that Jesus came to his disciples and he shared the bread and the cup and he said, listen, take this, it's my body, it's my blood, everything that you are gonna need for life and for godliness, I'm gonna do for you. Everything that you need for a life that is going to be fulfilled by what I have called you to do, it's going to happen because of what I am doing for you. 
And I believe in this moment as I look at this construction zone and I see all the moving parts and all the dust clouds and all the things that we're working around, what I am seeing in my spirit is that God has a word for our church, for those of us who are part of this house, for you, not only as individually, but for us corporately to say, we're not just cleaning and tidying and making things look great. Right, that's what you might see on the surface, but what God is doing is saying, I want to give you my resurrection power. And in this moment, we're gonna take a moment and we're gonna do what Jesus did with his disciples. We're gonna take of the bread and of the cup. And when we do that today in this moment, what I want you to do is to prophetically declare that everything that God has called you to do and gifted you to do, he took care of in that moment on the cross. And that when you take that cup, And when you take that bread, you are saying, Lord, I'm surrendering my life to you. That's what getting your house in order looks like. It's not about what we do and it's not how we grind and how hard we work. It's saying, God, I surrender my life to you because I know that you created me for a purpose. And that purpose was just as the temple and the tabernacle was, it was to house the presence of God. And that we get the opportunity and the blessing to meet Jesus just as he was in that upper room. And we need to say, God, make my heart ready to receive you. Make my heart large. Anything that needs to go, help me declutter it out of the way so that I make room for people to experience your presence and for you to dwell inside of me and to change lives forever. That's how much God loved you and designed you for that purpose. It wasn't haphazard. It wasn't an afterthought. When he crafted you in the same way that he made plans for the tabernacle and for the temple, he made you so that you and I could house his presence. And right now I wanna invite you to stand because our ushers are gonna come forward. They're gonna bring up the communion elements. And in this moment, what I want us to do is take this communion and to use it as a moment of remembrance, but also as a prophetic declaring in this house. Lord, what is happening in this room? The construction, the change, the growth, the move toward progress. It's not just what's happening in this space. It's what's happening in our hearts. God is preparing us, I believe, to catapult us into a new season, a new place, a place where we rely on him fully and we see the miracles and the power and the resurrection of God happening in this house and among us people. And that means our hearts have to be ready ready to receive him, ready at a moment's notice. Not that we have to go clean and tidy for God to show up, but God, we're always ready. We're always open. We're always willing to say yes to you. And so that's what we're doing. We're taking this communion and we're saying, Lord, we declare. And God, right now I declare in this house that this is a house of miracles. This is a house of healing, of worship, of prayer. God, I pray over every single person who's a part of the Rock Church family. God, I pray that you would build within us the structure, the strength, the room to house your glory and your presence. 
God, that when we come into this place, we are ready to receive what you have for us. God, we are ready and willing to do whatever you say because we know that everything that we need for life and godliness, you already took care of on the cross. And so today, right now, as we are taking this communion, Lord, I pray that you would give us the revelation of how much you love us and that you built us for a purpose and a reason beyond what we could even ever think or imagine or ask for. And that purpose is to house your presence so that when we go into places, when we move into spaces in our office, in our homes, in our lives, that that place is now better because we were there, because we carried with us into those places your spirit and your power and your presence. Right now we're gonna sing this song and during this song of worship, I just want you to come forward and take these elements back to your seat and declare the goodness of God over your life. Declare that you are surrendering to him so that you are ready at a moment's notice for him to show up in your life and to do something incredible. And we're gonna sing this song, not only as a prophetic declaration over a rock church, but over every single one of us that are in this room, that we are a place where the miraculous can happen because God desires to show up. He desires to dwell in us. And that's what we're gonna sing and declare today. So we're gonna move forward and grab those elements and take them today during this song. Lord, we know that you have built a house, a house of miracles, of resurrection power, a house where people are gonna gather and worship and pray and encounter you. Lord, I know that you are building that house here at Rock Church. Lord, I know that you're building that inside of us. Lord, and I pray that in this moment of surrender of our own lives and laying them down at the feet of Jesus, that we would have the revelation that we are the temple and that you desire to dwell, not just around us or nearby us, but in us. And so Lord, I pray that you would build up the spiritual house of every single person. Lord, we would make ready and make room for you, our house. God, and that we would let go of anything that would distract us from your kingdom purposes. Lord, I believe that there are people standing in this room that maybe have not yet had the revelation of who you created them to be. Lord, give them the revelation from heaven, the plan, the design that you made them for a purpose. God, I pray that if there's anyone who feels like they've lost hope, maybe even someone who's struggling to feel like they have value or meaning, Lord, help them know that in this moment, you made them on purpose and you have incredible love in your heart for your people and that no one is ever too far gone to experience the love and the presence and the resurrection power of Jesus. And so God, we give this moment to you. We give this construction zone to you. God, we pray that this construction zone is really just a picture of what you're doing in us, that you are preparing your people for your presence to move and to do mighty things that we can never even think or imagine. All across this room, I know that many of us are already believers, that we love Jesus and we've had that moment with him where we surrendered our life to him. But I don't wanna leave this moment if there's someone in the room that says, I haven't even taken that first step. Cause I believe that God wants you to know while you're here in this moment, that you are valuable to him. It's not about what you do or how things in your life look, 
It's not about the lack of chaos. It's that he wants to bring his peace and his presence and his power into your life. And he does that for free when we surrender to him. And in the same way that he gave his disciples the bread and the cup, and he said, take it and eat it freely. It costs them nothing. He wants to offer that to you. And so if you're in this room and maybe you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus, this might be your day right now here in this room. And I just want to ask you if that's you to raise your hand, because I'm gonna pray over you and with you in this moment, because I believe that God has a special plan for your life and your future that he wants you to see, that he wants to reveal to you and do beautiful things in your future. Even if your past is chaotic, he has a plan for the future. And so just all over the room, if that's you, you wanna say, I surrender to Jesus, because I do want to be open and willing for him to come into my life and be with me. Will you guys pray this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, I'm coming to you with full surrender, laying down my own life, my own agenda, my own plans for your perfect will. And in this moment, I surrender to you. And I ask you to be the Lord of my life, to be the King of my heart. And for me, to trust you with every part of my life. Amen. Hey, can we celebrate that this moment? I believe God is good. Hey, I want you to go home knowing that the Holy Spirit dwells in you and that everywhere you go this week, you are carrying His presence into those spaces and that you are making it better than it was when you arrived. Amen. Hey, we love you guys. We're going to have an incredible Sunday next week. So come back, celebrate these awesome people who are going to be baptized next Sunday. We hope you have an incredible and fun Super Bowl Sunday at home. And we'll see you back here next Sunday. We love you guys.